Elizabeth Hodgson. I'm a regional vegetable specialist with the Eastern New York Commercial Horticulture Program. I'm here today with my colleague Lindsay Pasho to talk about winter greens. While most other crops are winding down for the season, we're at harvest season or past harvest time right now while we're, we're recording in October. It's actually planting time for winter greens around the region. Thanks for joining us, Lindsay. Thanks, Elizabeth, for having me. So I'll let Lindsay introduce herself. Um, Lindsay is a colleague from up here in the North Country. We're both based at the CCE Clinton office in Plattsburgh. Um, Lindsay is an ag business and marketing specialist with the CCE Harvest New York team. So Lindsay, maybe we could start by just having you tell the audience a little bit about what you do and then also what the Harvest New York team does throughout the state. So like my primary aspect of my job is to work with farmers from beginning to well-established farmers on their marketing and business support. So I primarily work with fruit and vegetable growers, um, industrial hemp, and you know I really like working with farmers when it comes down to marketing their products. So Cornell Cooperative Extension's Harvest New York team is a statewide program. We have specialists working down in the New York City area, Buffalo area, working in urban agriculture. We have specialists that work in the Hudson Valley, but also statewide that work with climate change. There's also specialists that work with for farm to institution work, uh, specifically more to farm to school. And I work mostly with um, ag economic development. So while Lindsay's team is a statewide team, um, for, for listeners who are kind of new to the podcast or to what the Eastern New York Commercial Horticulture Program does, um, the Eastern New York team is a Cornell Cooperative Extension team that includes 17 different counties from the Canadian border in Clinton County while we're, where we're located down to the Hudson Valley. And I, I really enjoy working with Lindsay and I like bringing her into the conversations that I have with farmers because I feel like a lot of the questions that we get at CCE, a lot of them are, are solely production based, but a lot of the questions that I get in my position also tie into business and marketing. And so for a lot of management decisions, whether it's um, you know adding a new enterprise to the farm, whether somebody is a beginning farmer, they're interested in producing a new product. Um, a lot of those decisions come down to business. And what Lindsay and I are going to talk about today is a project that we worked on together that was sponsored by the Northern New York Agricultural Development Program that consisted of a series of interviews for winter greens growers. So the way that I personally define winter greens, and people have their own um, definitions of them, but Winter greens are leafy greens, so it could be spinach, brassica, baby leaf mustard greens, um, larger sized kale, etc. lettuce that grow in heated or unheated high tunnels that are harvested in the fall, you know, the deep fall, maybe for Thanksgiving markets through the holidays, um, that then kind of sit in the tunnel over the winter. They could be harvested then, they're not growing, and then resume growth in February or so when the days get longer. And in the Northeast, winter greens production has really um, taken off in the last you know, 10 to 20 years. Part of that is because of the increase in popularity of high tunnels um, through um, federal funding initi initiatives. There was also 
a really popular book called The Winter Harvest Handbook by Elliot Coleman, um, a, a farmer in Maine who shared some all of his information on how he grows high tunnel crops year round at his farm in Maine. And so here um, in Essex County, where Lindsay and I are sitting today recording this podcast, um, at the Willsboro Farm, the Cornell Research Farm around here, we've conducted several different spinach um, winter high tunnel projects looking at aspects like soil fertility, planting dates, um, things like that. But kind of stepping back a little bit, when we provide advice to growers, um, we've been frequently asked questions about winter growing. So if some farms are interested in starting to do winter growing, um, farms have questions about marketing. So we decided to do a project through the Northern New York grant um, that consisted of a series of different interviews for winter greens growers. And I'll let Lindsay tell, tell us a little bit more about kind of the aim of the interviews and, and some of the farms that decided to participate. So we interviewed winter uh, green growers in northern New York um, to find out why they were growing winter greens, how they were growing these in winter greens, what the production challenges were, what you know labor was involved, uh, including like are they the sole owner of the property and growing these winter greens, or are they hiring labor to produce winter greens? And then also what type of marketing they were doing for the wintering productions and the pricing point. Because these are a lot of questions that other growers have come across. And I always feel like it's very important to find out what other growers are doing and be able to share that information onto, you know, potential growers of a new crop for their business. And I think that there are some challenges to growing winter greens in the North Country that we wanted to explore a little bit deeper. Um, for me as a vegetable production specialist, I get really excited about promoting growing winter greens because I love the idea of, you know, farms being able to produce fresh salad greens in the winter. Um, but we know that in Northern New York, you know, it's a very rural area. So they're we wanted to learn more about what characteristics made for successful winter greens operations and how, as Lindsay mentioned, you know, marketing and, and pricing strategies kind of came into play, given some of the challenges in our rural and very cold part of the state. So in terms of the interview uh, methods, Lindsay, you mentioned that you interviewed a number of farms. Can you tell us more about where the farms were located and um, just a little bit more about what what types of vegetable farms were interviewed. So we ended up interviewing eight growers in northern New York across Clinton, Essex, Franklin, St. Lawrence, Jefferson, and Lewis. Not all of these counties actually are doing winter production, but that was the goal of our the interview process. Um, some counties have quite a bit more winter green production than others. The majority of um, the farms were either certified organic or doing organic practices. And, you know, for the winter green production, they were actually growing um, all in high tunnels, either in single or double layer, layer, uh, layer plastic. And 
nobody was growing in like low tunnels when it came down to it. They used um, high tunnels with either a single or double layer of plastic. Okay. Did you interview anybody who was using more high-tech greenhouses or was it all high tunnel growers? All high tunnel growers. Um, you had nobody that was like in a high-tech operation. When the growers you interviewed, when they were talking about, you know, the story of when they first started grow growing winter greens, I'm curious what information they took into consideration when they made that decision to add that enterprise to their farm. It's actually kind of funny is the main reason why a lot of these growers started growing winter greens was for their own um, diet, for their you know, being able to have fresh leafy greens for themselves. And then from there, they wanted to extend their growing season for their farm, bringing additional revenue in, uh, support, you know, local labor in the area, and also sustain their, their wholesale or their retail markets so that they had continuous revenue and continuous market year rounds for their farms. For... For farms who are thinking about adding an additional product to, to their offerings, you know, separate from winter greens, just in general, as a, a business and marketing specialist, what types of questions do you recommend that growers ask themselves when they're considering this? So one of the main things I have uh, farmers do is look at their overall, their farm, and seeing what they could potentially add um, and how much additional work and potential profit this is going to be. So different questions I usually ask them is, do you have a market for additional crop? How much does it cost to produce their crop? And what will you need to sell their crop to make a profit? So if you're going to produce a crop and you're not going to make a profit on this or even break re even, why are you doing this? That's always my question is like, why are you producing something? Is it just to add a little bit more diversity into your farm? Like if you have a CSA um, or that you know, your market is asking for this in order to get your other products sold, you have to add this product. Um, so it's really important to figure out why are you adding this additional crop? Um, and then the other big thing is, do you have the labor to produce that crop? Because a lot of people will start thinking, oh, I really want to produce this, but then they don't have the person, the people, the labor force to actually harvest that crop or take care of it properly. So you, one of, yet you were just describing what sounds like kind of the lost, the lost leader concept, right? So I'm, I'm just wondering, did any of the farms mention that winter greens were more of a lost leader? Um, there was one that did mention that was a lost leader, but it, they, it was because they wanted to continue to sustain their markets. Um, I did talk to some growers that they did find out that it's not going to be profitable for them, and then they just decided not to do it. In terms of products um, that growers are offering from their high tunnels in the winter, I, not having looked at the interview results ahead of time, but I, I bet that spinach was the most commonly grown crop. Was that what you found? Yep, spinach is definitely the most popular wintergreen, but some uh, growers are growing arugula, Asian greens, chard, kale, 
the mustards. So, you know, there is just not spinach being grown. There's another variety of different winter greens. Okay. Well, maybe we can talk a little bit more about some of the specifics of producing these winter greens. I'm curious whether anybody in our area is heating their high tunnels to produce winter greens because that that is definitely a question that I get a lot and I know some of my other vegetable specialist colleagues get that too. Um, and it, it's very hard to study a research question like heating a high tunnel. Is it is it worth it? Is it worth the money? So just out of the main winter greens growers in our area, I'm, I'm curious what percentage of them add supplemental heat to their high tunnels. Not a lot um, do add supplemental heat to their high tunnels. Um, the majority are you know, only adding a supplemental heat if it gets below a certain temperature. So below um, sometimes like 20 degrees, or they're also adding um, row cover over the plants. So there's one farm that I interviewed that actually had, they have it based on certain degrees that the temperature gets down to, and they have a first layer, a second layer, and a third layer of row cover that they do with hoops. Um, and so the row cover at least adds that, you know, increased temperature a couple of degrees. Wow, so four layers of row cover. That's quite a lot. Yeah. And our, I don't know if the interviewees mentioned this, but I'm just curious when they were heating the tunnels when it reached a certain minimum temperature, is that just so that the greens, you know, don't, is that to promote their growth or are they heating the tunnels just so that they can harvest? Because I know one of the limitations later in the winter is that you can't harvest the greens when they're frozen. So, so I'm, you know, aside from the minimum temp, what, you know, when did they actually heat the tunnel? 20 degrees is the number that pops out the majority of the time or if it got down to zero. So I'm expecting from that is they're, they want to continuous to get it to continue to grow, but also not to freeze. Okay, so just whenever it reached that minimum temperature. Yep. And then um, other production questions I was just curious about, what um, pests and diseases did people mention as challenges or did they mention those at all? So the pests and diseases that came out the most were aphids um, army worms and voles. Ooh, yeah. So those are definitely hot topics. Um, the winter, you said army worms and then winter cutworms is another pest that seems to be increasing in severity around the Northeast. And I think we still don't really know a lot about it and how to manage it, but hopefully we'll be able to find some recommendations for that sooner rather than later. We'll be back with more Eastern New York vegetable news after this quick break. The Eastern New York Commercial Horticulture Program is one of the premier regional agricultural programs of Cornell Cooperative Extension, serving a large multi-county area in the Champlain Valley, Capital Region, and Hudson Valley. The team's specialists work together with Cornell faculty and county-based extension educators statewide to address the issues that impact the vegetable, tree fruit, small fruit, and grape industries. 
The Eastern York Commercial Horticulture Program provides educational programs and information to growers and agribusiness professionals, arming them with the knowledge to profitably produce and market safe and healthful horticultural crops, contributing to the vitality of farms and the economic well-being of New York State. More information on upcoming programs, production resources, and enrollment options to receive our digital newsletters is all available online at enych.cce.cornell.edu backslash. So then, and I guess shifting away from production onto marketing, what types of marketing challenges did the growers mention? So the marketing challenges that pop out the most is that either growers uh, had a difficult find, time finding markets for their crop or that they were unable to produce the crop um, at a break-even or a profit point. Okay. And that is, I guess I'm, I'm not sure what the situation is like in other parts of the state, but that does seem to be... If I were to, you know, if I were to guess what what some of the major challenges would be in our area, it would be marketing just because, again, we live in a rural area and then labor, I imagine, you know, that's that's an issue that's on all farmers' minds. Did labor come up as an issue as well? So we had some farms that actually produce winter greens because the winter greens produce so much of a profit that allowed for them to pay for their um, pay for the workers. Okay. So they were paying that that price that they were getting for those winter greens, pay for that labor for the entire farm. In the winter months. In the winter months, okay. it was really exciting to hear that that they were making that much money. Yeah. Um, other farms, when it came down to labor, it was just the owner doing the work. Okay. Um, and that's how they were able to to do this and you know because it did require a lot of um, time taking the putting the row cover on and off plus harvesting and also cleaning so the owner would just do that and then one of the farms that actually went out of business of doing wintergreens they're still in operation but just they don't do wintergreen production anymore is they needed a break because <laughs> they were just oh, they yeah. couldn't bring in labor anymore <laughs> They just needed a break for themselves for the winter months. Yeah, I've definitely heard that as a reason why some farms are hesitant to do winter greens. One of the reasons I've heard is that one grower one time mentioned to me that he, he feels like it's kind of working against nature to try to grow things in the winter and that it because of that it seems really risky to him. But then I've also heard from other growers that they, you know, if they grew winter greens, they just would not get a break. And... When people are, you know, wearing themselves really thin all summer long, you know, it's important for some to be able to have that, that time to catch up on, you know, book work or take a family vacation in the winter and take care of things that just they weren't able to get to in the summer. So you mentioned that there's one farm that you interviewed who was so successful at growing winter greens they could pay for all their labor in the winter which is awesome so i'm wondering for that particular farm who were they marketing to and and then also what were 
what are the range of price points that you gathered from these interviews? So that farm actually, I think, sells the majority of their wintergreens outside of the area. They do sell them in the in northern New York, but I think the majority of theirs do go outside the area because also looking at their wholesale pricing, uh, they were getting up to like $16 a pound, wow. which is high um, because other far, farms that were selling winter greens, the low point was $4. So for wholesale, it was anywhere from $4 to $16. And then for retail, it was 8 to $14. Okay. So when I was looking at those numbers, the $16 for a wholesale and a retail of high of 14 I was very... <laughs> Yeah, very surprised. Quite a range. And I'm guessing that the higher end of that, so up to $16 a pound, was that for certified organic retail spinach? Yes. And then I imagine the bottom price would be wholesale, maybe non-certified spinach. Yeah, non-certified, but just organic practices. Organic practice. Okay. So then... For the higher price points, you mentioned that the product is moving outside of northern New York. So what what geographic regions are they getting those higher price points in? Are you, is it like the Capital District or New York City? It would be like Capital District, Hudson Valley, Western New York, okay. Central Western New York. For winter greens and for other products, if a, a farmer is trying to determine what price to set, for that, what sort of questions do they need to ask themselves or what sort of data should they be collecting on their farm in order to make that informed decision on pricing? So when it comes down to pricing your products, um, there's many ways to look at it. And I don't like to tell a farmer that their way is right or wrong, but when you are trying to figure out what to price your product on, you could Go look at what your neighbor's is. You could go to the local grocery store, but that's not giving you the overall perspective of actually how much it costs for you to produce that. So you're looking, you need to look at all of your fixed and your variable costs. So you're looking at um, your fertilizer, your, your irrigation line, your labor. Remember, when you get, look at your labor, you need to also consider paying yourself a wage because if you get hurt then you have to hire somebody to come in so you need to have an overall picture of how much this is going to cost you um, you need to think about all the the marketing behind this if you have a website if you're boosting on social media if you're needing to transport this product to some location if you need to bag it and then every single hour that you're out there in the field working, but also behind a desk promoting that product is hours you need to put down on a, basically a spreadsheet. And there's a lot of different tools out there that have been produced either through Cornell, Penn State, various other, um, other institutions that have budget sheets for you to be able to work through those costs to figure out actually the price that it, you know, it, it takes to to produce this product. So it sounds like you're talking about developing enterprise budgets for each product. Exactly. So Lindsay and I um, have some experience doing that. And I have to admit, I wasn't the best project collaborator last year when I was supposed to be gathering information for an enterprise budget for one of the crops we grew here at the research farm. But I'm just wondering, 
to make that process of gathering all that information less um, less of a pain because <laughs> it, is, it is a lot of work to gather the information but once you have it it's I think it can be a really powerful tool do you have any tips for how farms can make the time to do this and improve their record keeping for developing something like an enterprise budget I think the first step would be if you're going to start growing a crop is finding an enterprise budget to look at to Just, see what they've they've put in to figuring out what that enterprise budget, what that final production price is, and then adjust it based on what you're doing on your farm. And, you know, keep a clipboard somewhere when you, you purchase something or keep a folder. And that's what I actually have a farm and everything I buy, I don't, you know, have all that much time. So I wait, you know, until the end of the season to do, you know, all my stuff and my taxes, but I throw everything in a folder and just keep track of everything. And then I go back and I figure out exactly how much this is costing me. But when it gets down to it, if you have an idea of how much it's going to cost you before you start producing it, that's going to be a big savings when it comes down to it. So you can make adjustments over time. So, so the first step you were saying, look at, so look at an example enterprise budget and then build from that. So you're not starting from scratch. Yes. That's, that's a really good piece of advice because, um, there are some some good templates out there. So just off the top of my head, um, some resources for finding those templates would be, we were looking at the, the book by Richard Wiswall, right? Um, and then what other templates would you recommend? I think, you know, finding any of the, you know, Cornell Cooperative Extension or Extension, um, web pages usually have a lot of these templates available. Um, you know, Cornell Cooperative Extension has a bunch, Cornell does, Penn State, and just seeing what's gonna work the best. And there are apps too out there that you might wanna think about doing to track um, your purchases and your hours. Okay, well maybe we, um, we can compile a list of some of those resources that we mentioned, and we can put those in the notes that go along with this podcast. So mention the Organic Farmers Business Handbook by Richard Wiswall, and then um, Lindsay mentioned Penn State and, and CCE resources. So we'll put those in there. Well, I guess um, we can wrap up our conversation with um, a couple of um, a couple of fun questions. So First, I wanted to ask you, what's the most surprising piece of information that you that you've uh, learned when you're interviewing the growers? So one grower said that customers were surprised that they could purchase spinach in the wintertime. I thought that was very interesting. So um, the customer actually thought it was a mistake that the farmer had left a sign up in the fall <laughs> and just it was sitting yeah. out there all winter long um so what i think is is interesting is you know there that's going to be the big thing for people that want to grow winter greens is educating customers that you can buy greens locally in the winter time right in your backyard yeah i mean to me that's one of it just never ceases to amaze me every year when i grow winter greens for research is that here in upstate New York, near the Canadian border, we can be picking spinach without any supplemental heat in our high tunnel in December. <clears throat> and it is pretty cool that we can offer that 
to customers around around the region um, through the farms here that are are doing winter greens and then I also was wondering um, you know you have you have all this information from the eight farms that you interviewed I'm curious what your major takeaways were and also for the farmers that you talked to what sort of advice did they have for prospective winter greens growers so one grower um, said make sure that you don't plant too late in the season you don't want to plant too early and you don't want to plant too late and then they also said make sure that you have a market for your product and you know make sure you figure out what the pricing you're going to have for this product and be willing to adjust it because there's certain times throughout the season with your price that you can get a higher price point than others mm. so that time the time in the season when folks can get a higher price point, I assume that would be probably deep in the winter, like January. Exactly. Yeah, January and February, March, and then you, your price point's potentially going to go down in April. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So in terms of scheduling the crop to harvest in January, the, the best way of describing that um, was when somebody told me that they, you know, you can think of the high tunnel as nature's cold storage. So we know that, you know, once the days get really short, so in, you know, mid-November, the, the plants don't really grow. So in order to be picking in January, the crop has to be at that harvestable stage by, you know, December so that it can just sit there, doesn't grow. And then when you need it, you can go in and harvest it when it's warm enough for the leaves not to be frozen. So I think, yeah, the scheduling of the crop can be a little tricky. And what we found here at the Willsboro Research Farm is that we get the highest yields of spinach when we seed the spinach for, in trays for transplanting around September 1st. And then we can get, um, we'll, we'll usually harvest two or three times in, you know, spanning from late October and then November, December. If we didn't harvest it, at that last harvest, we would be able to harvest it in January. And then we start picking it again in February. But at the same time, there's this trade-off on farms where most farms will be having tomatoes in their high tunnel that they are still picking in you know September, October. So um, one piece of advice I've heard from winter greens growers is to help with that scheduling they like to transplant their spinach, even though it's it requires more more space because you have to produce those transplants. They feel that it's worth it because then they can keep harvesting their their tomatoes for a little bit longer while the transplants grow, and then they can stick those transplants in the ground um, later. So, was there anything any other pieces of advice from the winter greens growers? Overall, I think like the growers are very positive about wintergreen production in northern New York. And, you know, the fact that it's just been able to help them run their farm year-round. And, you know, it was, it was positive, I feel like. You know, there were two growers that weren't doing it anymore, but it was more that they needed a break than anything. Mm so do you think that there's an opportunity for additional winter greens production winter greens growers in northern new york 
I think there is, but I think that the customers need to be educated that they can get these greens locally. So how do you think um, that consumer awareness could be increased? Maybe some social media campaigns, <laughs> some nice pictures of fresh spinach in December. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So when you're looking to add a new crop into your operation, there's four things that you should think about. It's the four P's of marketing. So you look, think about your price, your product, your promotion, and your place. So what price are you going to sell your product at? The place of where you're going to be selling that product. How are you going to promote that product? and what you're producing. Okay, so we were previously talking about promotion maybe being one thing to, to focus on if con consumers aren't aware that there's winter greens that they, can, that they can purchase, right? Yes. Okay. So different ways that farmers can promote winter greens in Northern New York would be through social media, so if you have a Facebook or an Instagram account, if you have a website, um, if you have a different outlet. Um, up here in, in Northern New York, we have Adirondack Harvest and they do a great job with promoting businesses and they actually like to do um, a crop of the month. So they'll actually highlight, you know, like they would potentially highlight wintergreens at wintergreen time of the year. Okay. Yeah, so maybe it just takes a little bit of creativity and working with some of those existing local foods marketing channels and things like that. Okay, well, is there any um, final bits of advice or information that, that you'd like to talk about before we wrap up the episode? I think that, you know, I just want to say is I think by talking to all these growers that it does look like there's still an opportunity for more wintergreen per production in northern New York and you know I feel that if you need to you know to gather more information you can always talk to other farmers that are doing it or talk to us within Cornell Cooperative Extension of actually how to to do this. Okay well that sounds great well thank you Lindsay for joining me today and as I mentioned before um, we did talk about a few different resources for enterprise budgets and we can also put our contact information on the podcast notes if um, folks have questions for Lindsay about business and marketing and the Eastern New York specialists. We're, we're here to help if you have any questions about growing winter greens. Lindsay, before we end the episode, one last quick question. So if um, listeners are interested in reading more about what you found in the, in the interviews, Will you be writing up a report on the interviews? There will be a short report of the interviews and the way that I'm writing it up is so that you can identify, you cannot identify one farm from the other. And okay. it's gonna be as an aggregate of all these different operations. Okay, well, sounds good. And we will post a link to that report when it's ready. And I just wanted to end the episode by again, thanking you, Lindsay, for joining me. And I also wanted to give a shout out to the farms who participated in these interviews with Lindsay. And again, um, to a thanks for a sponsor of the project, the Northern New York Agricultural Development Program. Thanks for listening to the Eastern New York Veg News Podcast. 
For more information on the Eastern New York Commercial Horticulture Program, visit our website at enych.cce.cornell.edu. Also be sure to check out the links included in the episode description. 